You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for April 19, 2020, the second Sunday of Easter. Today's sermon was given by the Rev. Justin Crisp. It's based on John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. The story that I just read is nearly as famous as the event of the resurrection itself. The story of doubting Thomas, the disciple unlucky enough to have missed Jesus' miraculous appearance to his friends after his resurrection. And the disciple skeptical enough not to believe them when they tried to tell him about it. Thomas has often gotten a bad rap for his insistence on hard proof, his demand for evidence in the place of the mere assurances and testimony of his friends. But he has also, just as often recently anyway, been lifted up as a proto-modern saint, a kind of biblical Descartes or Carl Sagan, who ever the keen-minded skeptic has the courage to admit this whole God business to be, on the whole, a pretty sketchy hypothesis, not to mention the resurrection itself. Whether we were chastising Thomas or celebrating Thomas, we most often made him out to be a modern doubter, something like a man in his housecoat and slippers, sitting in a study, peacefully contemplating the nature of the universe and wondering if that dusty old idea, God, has any place in it any longer. Thomas's story, I think, contains balm and strength indeed for doubters, even of that housecoat and slippers sort. But to make him out to be a pre-modern analytic philosopher, does him something of a disservice, and it prevents his story from speaking to us in as powerful a way as it might as we live now in the midst of the pandemic. Making Thomas out to be a man in his study wearing a house coat and slippers misses the stunning pathos that he experiences in this exchange. The fact that every word of, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my fingers in them and my hand in his side, the fact that every single word of that sentence is dripping with the dread of disappointment. Thomas does not doubt his friends because he finds the resurrection intellectually implausible. He doubts them because he cannot stand any more dashed hopes. He doubts them because the goings-on of the past week have taught him that if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And Thomas's doing so does not make him so much a modern agnostic as the inheritor of a long and storied biblical tradition of those who were courageous enough to wrestle with God 
A tradition captured in stories like that of Jacob wrestling the angel to the ground, insisting that he give him a blessing. Or Job demanding that God confront, recognize, and name the afflictions which have befallen him. Or the psalmist crying, has God forgotten to be gracious? My grief is this, the right hand of the Most High has lost its power. Or even Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What Thomas and Jacob and the psalmist and Job and Jesus all share in common is this. They related to God as though God were a character in the story of their lives. That is, they related to God personally. Now, God is not a man with a white beard sitting atop some cloud, okay? But neither is God merely some impersonal force, a name for a kind of energy, or an idealized abstraction. The word God refers to a mystery which is indescribable. A mystery which is so beyond our capacities of knowing that we don't even know what we mean when we say it. But I think it is a mistake to think that God's mysteriousness, God's indescribable character, means that God is less personal than human beings are. Less capable of love and joy, and longing than we are, rather than more so. More capable of love, and joy, and longing. Unbelievably, superabundantly, hyper-resplendently, more than we are or ever could be. And this is part of what the Scriptures attest to. Human beings continued experience of the indescribable reality that brought the world into being and who subsequently involves himself in the history of that world, constantly revealing and inserting himself into its life, definitively in Jesus of Nazareth, but certainly also before that, in burning bushes and still small voices and the toppling of empires and the healing of nations. The God of Christians is not a theoretical hypothesis. The God of Christians is a terrible and sublime reality with whom we have to do, each of us. One who, in Jesus Christ, revealed himself to be so lovingly invested in the well-being and care of each and every one of us that even the hairs, the individual hairs, atop our pandemic shaggy heads are numbered. We modern people can get so bogged down in the theoretical question of whether or not God exists that we can forget the most pressing question really to be asked in God's regard is much the same as we would ask of any person. It's not, does God exist? But rather, have we met?
And I'm not saying that the meeting itself is going to be straightforward. <laughs> weird is the word that Father Peter used last week, and weird is just the word for it. But we do meet God all the time. In the course of our day-to-day lives, even. In the faces of those we meet. In conversations of a deep and profound sort. In prayer and acts of devotion. In worship and praise and sacraments, in little moments of beauty and loveliness which surge up through our days and lighten our loads. God is on offer, as it were, in a thousand little ways a day. And we get to know God in much the same way that we get to know anyone else, with time. And if God is to be our real and not just our imaginary friend, that time has to be filled not only with attention, but with honesty and candor, with the saying of difficult but precious things. Things like, if I don't see the mark of the nails, in his hands. Believing in God means having a relationship with God, and that relationship involves not just consolation and comfort, but disappointment and anger and frustration. At least a relationship with the Christian God, anyway. And this is exactly what we see Thomas coming to terms with in real time. Agony first, then ecstasy. Sadness and disappointment at Jesus' death. At the seemingly irreversible failure of Jesus' mission on earth. Fear of getting his hopes up too soon. Annoyance, perhaps, at his friend's seeming naivete. Impulsive bravery in demanding that he see for himself. And then astonishment, bewilderment, maybe even a hint of embarrassment when he actually does. Thomas dramatizes the emotional life of faith. And doubt was as crucial to his as it is to ours. I've always been fascinated with the fact that in St. John's Gospel, just hours before Jesus appears to his disciples for the first time, he appears to Mary Magdalene at the empty tomb. It's just hours beforehand. And Mary, as you remember, confuses Jesus for the gardener and recognizes him only when he says her name, Mary. It's a stunningly beautiful moment, filled to the brim with joy. It's, it's just fabulous. And we have to imagine that Mary leapt towards Jesus to embrace him when she recognized him. Because the next thing Jesus says is, do not hold on to me. Or in the language of the Latin Vulgate, immortalized by so many incredible works of Christian art, noli me tangere. Do not touch me. It's almost painful. It's like, dude, Jesus, 
Let her give you a hug. There's no COVID-19. You got no idea what you're missing. Let her give you a hug. But then there's Thomas. Thomas, the apparently impetuous and cynical disciple, given a moment of unimaginable physical intimacy with our Lord. To put his own fingers in the wounds with which Jesus' resurrected and glorified body is still marked. It seems so odd, perhaps even unjust, that Thomas would get this privilege, whereas Mary did not. Until we remember that it was the same love that led Mary to leap towards her Lord, to embrace him, that caused Thomas to doubt whether he was actually alive. And Jesus answers Thomas's love, not with facts, but with fingers. How weird and how fabulous is God. Thomas's relationship with Jesus becomes more intimate, not less, because he had the courage to be honest about his doubt, because he dared to bring his doubt into his relationship with Jesus. And therein lies an incredibly valuable lesson for all of us about the character of really believing in God. Believing in God does not mean you are 89% convinced of the theoretical existence of a being that goes by that name. And then you decide to round the 89% up to 100, as it were. (laughs) It means instead, believing in God means you have decided to live your life in conversation with God, as it were. The chief difference between a, a Christian and any other old agnostic, not being the presence or the absence of doubt, whether of an intellectual or of Thomas's more existential sort, but the fact that the Christian articulates her or his doubt in prayer. That is, the Christian tells God when they doubt him. Giving God the chance to transfigure that doubt into staggering intimacy. This morning is the second Sunday of Easter, but it is also the sixth Sunday of the pandemic, in Connecticut, anyway. And I know that those two realities sit awkwardly with each other. Our world is still in the midst of a Lent of sorts, even while we are proclaiming, Alleluia, Christ is risen. Our Lord has, I believe, been mercifully at work these last weeks and months. At work for our good. At work for our flourishing. At work for our well-being. In some ways that we can actually see now. In some ways that we might be able to see once this is behind us a bit. And in some ways which, to be honest with you, we will simply not be able to see until God points them out to us in person, as it were, face to face, in the life 
of the world to come. You tuned in this morning, I think, because you believe this, or because you used to believe this, or because you want to believe this, that in the words of our psalm this morning, God will not abandon us to the grave, nor did He let His Holy One see the pit. The invitation extended to you this morning by our Lord Himself, whether you've been here for a long time or not for a while, or perhaps never before, is to conversation with Him, to be honest with Him about how those words strike you, whether they bring you comfort or make you incredulous or make you angry or make you sad. Take a risk this morning. Take a risk on God being real. And let Him know our Lord came back for Thomas and He'll come back for you too. Amen. You can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.